Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 337 with David Laurie of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Nathan Chan here, the host of the show and CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you are closing the year strong. Uh, We start to gear up for 2021. Let's make a commitment to make that our best year yet. I hope you are starting to plan now. Let's talk about today's guest. His name is David Laurie, and uh, he's Google's lead investor at uh, Capital G. Now, what's incredible about David is he's had the opportunity to really, like, you know, lead Google's venture arm. And, you know, Google invests in a lot of companies, right? They have a VC arm, and David's leading that that part of the business and um, he's got over 13 years experience so he really knows what the next unicorn looks like and I really go deep with him around what are the characteristics and traits that he looks for in a successful founder what's the difference between an ordinary company and a billion dollar company what is his advice for those looking to network, open more doors, uh, the change in the market, what is hot right now? What are the areas that people need to be looking at when it comes to starting a company? What is a trending area or a trending business model and so much more? It's a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy this a little bit different. And guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, 
please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us so, so, so much. Uh, We want to get this podcast found. We are on a mission at Founder, an audacious mission to build one of the largest entrepreneurial brands in the world, helping tens of millions of people every single week with our content. And we can't do that without your help. So please do leave a review. It helps us big time. And please do share this with your friends. All right, that's it from me, guys. Now I jump to the show. Look, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? That's a good question. Um, I think it's always great to chart uh, people's career paths. I um, I had been a serial entrepreneur uh, prior to joining Google, and I uh, my takeaway from that experience was that um, what I had learned at Google was really useful for scaling companies, and I wish I had known it. I would have been a way better entrepreneur. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, I thought, oh, it would be great to be able to bring some of these lessons uh, learned to kind of new, uh, uh, you know, kind of entrepreneur, next generation entrepreneurs. And um, I was talking to Larry Page about that uh, and, you know, kind of thinking about fundraising. And uh, he recommended or suggested that I do this inside of Google. And so we ended up uh, raising a growth fund with Google as our um, sole investor. Um, And then once the alphabet structure uh, came into place, we just went under that. And so I've basically been working there since 2013. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. Be a ton of fun. So um, I have to ask you, because really what I want to focus on is like, what do you look for when like finding that, that, that next unicorn? But before I do, I have to ask, like you said, you've learned some really valuable things uh, at Google around scaling companies that you wish you knew uh, beforehand. So like, what are some of those things? There are a lot of, uh, a lot of detail around, uh, um, you know, kind of how you or think about the organization. So you know, one of the challenges with large companies is people, you know, kind of end up pursuing kind of smaller opportunities, don't think about scaling things globally, or naturally uh, tend towards products, you know, kind of, let's say, banking products or something that will work really well in the U.S. but won't go global. And one of the, you know, kind of principles at Google, just as an example of a small thing, is you need it to launch in 17 countries right off the bat. So not all that product strategy that you could have uh, directed towards localization, you needed to think about in terms of like, well, how can we, will this product work across the world? And it just trends you to a different orientation. And so when you think about the products like Android, Google Maps, Google Docs, they all have that same complexion of you know, kind of working well, uh, you know, kind of across a lot of geographies. Now, it took a lot of extra work to build in, you know, kind of international compatibility into all of those products right out of the gate. But then you get the benefits of that when you're trying to scale. You don't have to re-architect your code to kind of do those things. And there's like a hundred of those. (laughs) Yeah. Can you give us one more? You know, I think the hiring uh, strategy at Google, like if you thought about kind of, well, just taking a step back, where as a CEO, you couldn't lean in. 
you know, where Larry Page leaned in was I'm going to set strategy and, you know, kind of high level goals, which we did through the OKR process. Um, You know, he was uh, kind of all product releases basically needed to go through uh, Larry, you know, kind of when the company was already, you know, tens of thousands of employees. Um, And actually, and this is going to be the most surprising for you, all um, applications, you know, kind of for new employees needed to go through Larry. And it's just an interesting way that you think about scaling an organization to say, you know what, I'm going to make all of my, uh, all the people that report to me bring the actual hiring packets of every employee that's being hired that week. And then I'm going to go through randomly and look at the packets and ask them around about the candidates. And that had a cascading impact uh, down the organization. So I reported to someone who reported to Larry. So the week before that, I was getting my packets to my boss who was going through them and grilling me. And I was doing that with the people that worked for me. And it was a way to ensure that people kind of in a high growth environment didn't do the natural thing of like, I need someone desperately and I'm going to, you know, kind of make a compromise. And so when you understand all the little behaviors and challenges of a growth company, then you try and systematize ways to manage that. And so that's why I say there's like a hundred of those things. Cause it's like all the little things you do in a company. Well, is that going to work when the company is kind of a hundred times as big, a thousand times as big, 10,000 times as big. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Well, look, um, yeah, like uh, we'll, we'll move move topics because I really want to talk about Capital G, um, and even during these times, like there's a lot of companies starting right now. Uh, I assume you you guys would have a lot of deal flow, and I'd love to really dive in. You know what what are you looking for when it comes to finding that next unicorn? Let's um yeah, like what like what are your principles? What's the What's the mental models that you're going for the, or the playbook or, or do you have one or? I mean, our general approach is, um, you know, obviously, you know, kind of companies that are coming to us are already amazing companies, you know, at the, you know, kind of, if you've created 10 million of anything, $10 million of revenue, 10 million users, you know, kind of, you've done something pretty extraordinary and, you know, you've found product market fit and you've, and, and so for us, we love, love the job because all day long we're meeting with people who have done that. What distinguishes the, you know, the companies that are kind of right for us of that set are the ones that we think could be, you know, a billion dollars of revenue or, you know, kind of a billion users, like something, you know, meaningful. Um, so that at every round, the next stage of investors are going to see a lot of upside. So there's no kind of like pressure on us to sell the business. So for example, I could say, you know, for us, if we're investing at, you know, kind of, let's say 300 million valuation, you know, we're going to want an exit that's in the, you know, many billions because that creates a lot of buffer for, you know, kind of uh, other financing rounds and, you know, kind of subsequent investor interest. And so, we're not thinking about the next round. We're thinking about three rounds out. Is it still going to be a growth company? 
Yep, I see. So you guys particularly focus on late stage. Um, what do you categorize as late stage? It's got to be 10 million or something, like you said. I mean, that's a good ballpark. I would say product market fit. Yep. Um, okay. And so uh, that, you know, doesn't mean you're just creating the product, but you've figured out a way to bring it to market cost effectively. Yep. Okay. And uh, I'm curious as well, like, when it comes to uh, companies that you invested in, can you give, just give us some, um, maybe for the, for the audience, some context around some of those companies? Yeah, uh, we've invested in Lyft, uh, Credit Karma, um, uh, CrowdStrike, uh, UiPath, Looker, you know, kind of a mix of enterprise and, you know, kind of consumer companies, probably two, two-thirds enterprise, one-third consumer particularly in the last uh, four or five years. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, look, um, yeah, I guess when it comes to deal flow, there's a lot of companies starting now. Are you guys um, getting many that are at, at, that kind of fit your appetite during a time like this? It's an interesting, you know, kind of that there's a lot of dislocation and Dislocation is good for entrepreneurs. And so a lot of the companies that are in our kind of set of, you know, it, you know, kind of interesting entrepreneurs, ideas, areas are seeing explosive growth. So fintech is seeing explosive growth around the world. And health tech is, you know, kind of seeing explosive growth around the world. And, you know, we're investors in Duolingo and, you know, kind of all that kind of entertainment and education content online is seeing explosive growth. So there's quite a bit going on. Now, there's obviously companies in our portfolio that have been on the other side of that, Lyft, Airbnb, you know, kind of others. And, uh, and, and so it is a mixed bag out there. But um, in general, uh, you know, kind of I feel like there are as many opportunities now, really more than there's been in a couple of years. Yeah, interesting because, yeah, either it's gone one way or the other where it's, it's really accelerated the growth, um, particularly most online companies, ex- except if your business has some sort of face-to-face when it comes to the product, then yeah, look, online has been massive across e-com. Yeah, yeah, okay, interesting. So then that means you would have, you know, you're you're meeting founders when they're at a stage where they've got good traction and they probably, yeah, like like how you said, like they really like, they're at a really big next level of scale. How do they go from 20 to 50 or 50 to 100 or 20 to 100? that in annual revenue, right? Yeah, I mean, our I mean, our hope is that they're triple, triple, triple. You know, kind of, that's kind of what we're looking for, like companies that are still in the steep part of their growth curve and they're going to be there for, you know, a couple of years, few years. Yeah. So if a company's at, at, you know, 20, 30 million annual revenue, you'd hope that they'd be at 100 in the following year and then that- 300 in the following year. And then 600 in the following, well, 300% year on year growth. I mean, at, that, at 10 million, I would say that 10 million, yep. 30 million, 100 million. And then it's probably going to more like 200 million. That would be in the you know top quartile of, of companies that we see. Yep. Got you. 
And is there anything that you see around the profile, the, the characteristics and the traits of the founder? Do they tend to be, they're onto their second or third startup and they've done this before? Or is it more that they're first time founders? Yeah, in the enterprise space, I think we see more repeat entrepreneurs. A lot of times they understand a problem well, um, have, have customer relationships, can pull together a team quickly, have credibility with investors, know how to sell. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of uh, skills that are uh, kind of more transferable. transferable. On the consumer side, I feel like it's um, unbelievable to me when someone creates two companies. Like, not because it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, when you look at like Jack Dorsey, you're like, that's unbelievable. You know, there just aren't that many of those people around. And so you have a lot of people who, you know, kind of toiled on a problem. It could be like the Airbnb founders, you know, kind of, and they hit. And then the company scales really fast. Some of those companies, you know, are kind of some of our best companies because, you know, they're super efficient models. What do you mean by that? You know, the consumer businesses have a tendency to grow exponentially, um, whereas the enterprise companies even are, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, kind of even our best investments. They're growing, you know, as fast as they can grow their sales force. Yeah, yeah long lead times. It's just there's it's a little more linear. Like they could tripling is like you're you know, you're tripling your sales force. So you're you know, it's not uh easy. Whereas yeah, there's not that constraint in many consumer companies. Yeah, especially two sided marketplace, um, extremely scalable. They can be. They can be. And they have good, you know, kind of moats. Yep. So um, so ten, you tend to find that more first-time founders are on the consumer end. And what about the characteristics? Because you would have met some fascinating, really smart, talented founders. Are there any traits that you look for? There's an audacity. Audacity? Yeah. You know, just the courage. It's, I, I grew up in Canada, um, which, you know, a little bit like Australia, um, you know, people are, uh, niche. They kind of like think about niches and dominating niches. And these are, you know, kind of the founders in our portfolio. I don't know. They had, you know, kind of better role models or, you know, kind of better mentors, capital providers, you know, kind of the whole system is, you know, kind of geared, you see this a lot in China as well, you know, the whole system is geared towards, you know, kind of being super ambitious. And, um, you know, all the support you're getting is around, you know, kind of painting a huge vision. And that definitely, I feel like, helps. It helps you attract a lot of money. It helps you attract great people. You know, you kind of build products you know, kind of that are, you know, have much, you know, larger applicability. And so I think that the kind of mindset that it's easier to do small things um, can sometimes be wrong, that in a way, because of all those things I just described, in some ways, it's easier to do big things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, look, I think, I guess if you're looking for that billion dollar annual revenue or, you know, a unicorn, it's all about total, like total addressable market. And you guys are looking for people to try to tackle big problems in big markets well, with, with a big market. Yeah. I mean, the market may not be so obvious at the beginning, like in the case of Airbnb, you know, you're like, oh, how big a market is there for sleeping on someone's couch? But then you kind of, it actually becomes something much bigger. Same thing with Uber and Lyft with the taxi market. So you talk about early influences. That's interesting. So do you think that these entrepreneurs perhaps were influenced by family, friends early on, or depends on on like yeah like like capital partners those are the super lucky ones you know i think that uh you know in silicon valley a lot of people have worked at other growth companies that's it's a huge leg up if you're you know kind of family is entrepreneurial it's a massive leg up um you know you just have the exposure if you're lucky to get kind of a great angel investor that can be very helpful. You know, if you have to figure out everything on your own, it's going to be, you know, a little harder, I think. And so you're, you know, seeking out mentors is definitely something that I've found all of our entrepreneurs are pretty good at. People gravitate to them often, but but it's a, you know, it's a two-way street. These people always have a lot of people supporting them. Yeah. And do you find that most of the companies that you're investing in are in the Silicon Valley cluster or out of? It's about 50-50 for us. Okay. In terms of the number of companies. Yep. And do you guys invest in uh, other high growth markets and areas like China or India or uh, yeah, like Baltic areas like, like Europe? Yeah, we've invested in two uh, companies in China out of like uh, 45 companies. So that's a pretty small number. We have about five in India and, um, and you know, some number in Europe. I mean, you know, like UiPath is, a, you know, kind of European. We invested in a European company. It was Romanian, but now they're, you know, headquartered in New York. So there's also some of that. Um, but, you know... We're investing globally. Like our view is we take a theme and we run that theme down globally. Yeah, that makes sense. And what about like, because you guys are a late stage companies, is there much emphasis on the pitch in the deck? Um, well, it's less of a pitch, but it's more of an explanation of the business. Uh, you know, uh, you need to be able to tell your story. It's one of the skill sets. And that's just as true when you're, you know, raising a seed round as when you're going public, you need to be able to tell your story. And, you know, one of the skills that we look for in entrepreneurs is, you know, the charisma to raise capital. Mm. So what are some things that people should be thinking about, whether they are early stage uh, or late stage, most people watching this probably wouldn't be at the stage coming knocking on your door. Maybe you said product market fit, but yeah, like um, what are the things that they like? Yeah, like you would have seen some shockers, uh, like really bad ones, and then probably some really good ones. Like what what do people need to be thinking about when it comes to the story and the pitch? 
You know, my view, um, and I think this is true for seed round and, you know, kind of every stage, um, is that, um, you know, every single investor is, you know, kind of just one investor. And your each investor is going to be looking for something different. You know, I'll look at 100 companies, you know, kind of, let's say, we look at thousands, but let's just say if I look at 100 companies, there'll be you know, probably 20 of those companies that would generate great returns. And I'm only investing in one of them. Yeah. Wow. Right. So it's uh, your odds with any single investor are low. And so you just, this is the same as seed, same as you just cannot get discouraged. And you just have to, you know, go into the meeting, try and understand what, like that person has had, you know, 15 meetings that day. And they, maybe they've done their homework. Like, you know, I feel like it's super competitive now. We always are kind of doing our homework, but there's, they don't really understand your business. They're outside in. And so you're trying to help them understand your business, put the best foot forward in an hour. And I think that takes, you know, as much an understanding of your pitch as it does understanding, you know, kind of your audience. You know, some people are very theoretical, you know, kind of, you know, big picture thinkers, other people are kind of like, until they understand the operating strategy or the financial metrics, they can't, you know, kind of place things. And so uh, you kind of need to understand the language of your investor. Mm, Interesting. And like everyone always thinks it's like Shark Tank. (laughs) Any myths you want to bust there? You know, it's so the opposite, you know, in our space, uh, it is extremely competitive right now. And, you know, we are uh, outbound calling for every meeting and, wow. you know, kind of, hot, you know, sending these like huge data packs of information that we've researched on their company and talk to customers. And so we're doing a lot of work when we kind of finally get in to see an entrepreneur we are feeling pretty lucky. So we're in no, we're not in the shark tank mindsets. We're, you know, kind of, we are trying to understand things pretty quickly and, you know, kind of sort through, you know, a lot of data and make a decision basically in at the end of that meeting. And so it's, you know, it's, it's dense. You know, these meetings are dense when we're doing well, it feels like we're kind of all talking about the most important issues. And when we're not doing well in a meeting, it's like we're talking past each other. Mm. But you guys could open most doors though, right? Like considering it's Google and stuff like that? I would say that was 100% true when we started in 2013. Um, And it's less true now. And it's not because of any change to Google. The market is... um, you know, incredibly frothy. It's following the public markets. And I think, you know, kind of the orientation has been at our firm, it's the same at every other firm. Well, let's get to these entrepreneurs sooner. So, you know, kind of, I, you know, two years before they need to fundraise, let's start building relationship, understand their story. And so every great company that we're meeting with has a set of entrepreneur investors that are fantastic and could fulfill their needs and so they just need to, um, you know, they're not going to pick up the phone and start like seeing who's out there. 
they're, they're going to do business with someone they have a relationship with. And so we need to be that company. And so that's why we're so forward leaning. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Look, you want to get on the front foot, especially at the stage that you guys are at. The, the people that you want to invest in, they're, they're hot. Or, or they're perceived. hot. Yeah. We're, we're investing a lot of money. We're, yep. you know, kind of, I'm investing in like a couple companies a year, you know, one to two companies a year. That's true for all of our partners. And, yep. um, you know, so we're making highly concentrated bets. And so uh, we need to, you know, it's actually really hard to make that in a couple of weeks. You know, if, you, if you've thought about a company over 6, 12, 18 months, it's a way easier. So it behooves everybody, I think. The entrepreneurs are better served by getting to know the founders. Founders are, are better served by getting to know investors. Yeah. And when it comes to the founders, are you guys kind of like, do you have rules like Y Combinator where they can't be solo founders? Do you have anything, any rules around that? Or they've got to be a team of three? Or like, any, any I feel rules like, you know, kind of probably by, you know, that probably makes sense for venture, you know, but by the time they're getting to us, they've proven that their operating model is working. Yep. Yep. Got you. So it doesn't matter. Well, each situation is unique. There's always like some deficiency in the management team, not, you know, kind of for any other reason that the company is now way bigger and they've got bigger challenges, new challenges. And so they need to add people. And so you are evaluating what's the ability of this team to attract other people. And, you know, kind of what I put, you know, my brother-in-law in this company is kind of like, you know, type of good test, like, you know, because you, you know, kind of that's what you're going to be doing as an investor. You're going to be then going and selling this business to everybody, you know, mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you're really like, yeah, you're really getting the late stage that they've got traction, uh, Can but can they, do they have the potential to get to that really like true scale next level? Um, do, that means you have a pretty high chance of success, right? You, if you're at that you, stage. You're um, much more bounded in terms of, of investment returns like you'll you know very rarely lose money like there's some percentage of ones where we're losing money um there's a lot of investments where we've made kind of three times our money and then there's a small number of you know investments where we're making 10 times our money and the returns of our fund really correlate with those 10x returns so you still have the distribution you don't have as many zeros and you don't have any I mean, you could get a hundred x, but it's highly unlikely. So, any company that you're looking at, your whatever, like, and and what what for for late stage, what is the range of funding that you can you can deploy in in that in that company over what span period? You know, um, let's say in CrowdStrike, we invested in five rounds. I think close to two hundred million dollars. Yeah, because yeah, okay, and then. Um, you're looking to 10x that. that. You want the opportunity, the possibility of that, because that's really going to make the you know fund returns you know fantastic. Um, you know, overall, our returns are roughly the same as venture returns. Yep. Okay. And 
we have to work towards wrapping up. I'm just really kind of drilling you, David, so I hope you don't mind. No, it's no problem, not at all. <laughs> um, you know, I know your audience doesn't, you know, kind of doesn't think about this that much, this stage doesn't, but it, you know, if things are going well, you know, we're talking to people two or three years after founding the company. So it comes upon you relatively quickly. And so it is good to, I think, to think about, you know, kind of what's the next investor, just like when we invest, you know, it really helps for us to be explaining to the entrepreneurs what the public markets will want. Mm. Yeah. And, and what do the public markets want? Like at that, like when you're at that stage, what do the public markets want? Like what, what, what is the, yeah. I mean, as a CEO of a public company, you're extremely well served if you can predict your business. If you're still at a point where you are in some major inflection, like you want to get into a brand new market, or you know, you could do all those things as a public company, but you just have a little less flexibility around making mistakes. Like it has more consequences. And so it's nice to kind of have a core business that is humming. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, kind of to be in a steep part of your growth curve gives you a lot of breathing room versus, let's say, people who have waited and then they kind of have, you know, kind of, let's say, closer to 25, 30 percent growth. And, you know, maybe then, you know, investors are going to think you have one quarter, 21 percent. They're going to be like, oh, my God, you know, is this is this not a growth company anymore? And then the multiples change and your employees get stressed. And so it's really good to have a few years of not dealing with that and getting your footing. Mm, yeah. But it's so hard because isn't it harder to grow the bigger you get? It is. It is. Exactly. That's why I think a lot of companies used to go public, you know, with 250 million valuations. And I think they were pretty well served. And Salesforce and others, you know, grew into really big businesses. Then you had kind of like, you know, the 2008 era where growth equity investing actually became a really big thing. And you had companies staying private like Facebook, $10 billion rounds. And so it, 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 there has been a trend towards staying private longer, which has been good in terms of creating, you know, kind of a market for our type of financing. Yes. Uh, but it has changed the nature of, you know, a lot of companies' public experience. Yeah. And when you talk about, like, the appetite for the public market, like the public market's appetite, um, big for, and predictability of business and having things humming, it's really a focus on recurring revenue, right? Like, you need – you really want to have recurring revenue, right? Yeah. And you want to be able to um, – control the levers of your business. So you had, you know, kind of, you know, a hundred salespeople and you know that those hundred salespeople will each generate, you know, $2 million of revenue, you know, kind of in, you know, 12 months time. And so you can, you know, you can see the inputs and outputs. It's like in, you know, kind of like a typical consumer business, you would spend this much on marketing and this would be the return on it. Yeah, so it's a mathematical equation. It becomes a little bit more of that because if you're still in the phase where you're, you know, kind of not sure how much you're going to get, then it's hard to, you know, kind of hire 100 people. Maybe you should just hire five people and see what happens. And so if you're going to hire 100 people, you should know. And then, you know, 
if you're trying to grow your business from, uh, you know, a hundred million to 200 million, that's, you know, kind of the order of magnitude scale that you're adding. Yeah, I see. And like, what would you, what advice would you like to give to founders watching this that are looking and they have that ambition to hopefully build the next unicorn? In terms of financing or just in terms of like? Both, both. Yeah. I mean, I think you you do this go back to where I started. I really felt like I learned something at Google. You know, my la- my last company, you know, Xfire was a gaming company. It was like, we got to 10 million users. We thought that was amazing. <laughs> You know, it's 2005, there weren't that many users on, you know, gaming online, but, you know, it's still, it's a lot better if you're thinking big from the outset, um, because when you think smaller, you, you know, you're more likely to end up there. And and then I feel like the, the one of the challenges for entrepreneurs, but it's, you know, also kind of really works when when you're good at it, is kind of just, you know, evangelizing that vision and just willing it into existence um you know kind of a lot of this stuff i'm sure uh, you know kind of the same advice you would you would share with any stage entrepreneur mm, yeah awesome well look um is there any questions that i uh haven't asked you that you'd like me to ask i think you did a great job <laughs> awesome well look uh, thanks so much for your time david where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and uh capital g yeah, we have obviously website and, uh, you know, kind of LinkedIn and all that stuff. And all the contact information is on our website, capitalg.com. Okay, awesome. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time. Okay, awesome. Good talking to you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.